from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Over Informed on IPM. used to have a garden in the backyard and he used to grow sweet corn. He always tells this story, I guess I guess some people might call it a joke, <laughs> but he said he, uh, he'd get the water boiling in the kitchen all ready to, to cook up some fresh sweet corn. Then he would go out and he would shuck the corn right on the stalk and then really quick he would pick all the ears and run into the kitchen only to trip and drop all of the ears on the ground meaning that they were ruined no good anymore because they weren't fresh the delay made them ruined is it's not a funny joke i don't i don't think it's well maybe maybe some of you dads out there are enjoying that one well at some point dad stopped growing sweet corn He considered it the one crop he couldn't grow without using pesticides, which he considered an insurmountable hassle. And there's always a farm stand down the road, so why not leave it to the professionals? What was that pest that dad was treating for? More than likely, it was corn earworm. Corn earworm, also known as Helicoverpa zae, and for some of you old school corn earworm fans out there, you might know this guy as Heliothus zae. It's an octuid moth native to North America, first described in 1850. Corn earworm actually has a pretty broad host range and has earned itself several names, including tomato fruitworm, sorghum headworm, cotton bullworm, because, and guess why, people kept finding these larvae everywhere in the fruit of tomato, obviously in the bowl, which is kind of like the flower of a cotton plant. Um, You'll find these larvae in lots of other stuff too. Uh, Artichoke, asparagus, cabbage, cantaloupe, collard, cowpea, cucumber, eggplant, lettuce, lima bean, melon, okra, pea, pepper, potato, pumpkin, snap beans, spinach, spinach, squash, sweet potato, and watermelon, just to name a few. But how do they get there? Well, their mothers leave them there. They leave them on their host plants as eggs. So these moths really like to leave their children on corn. It's a preferred host. Um, And just as those ears are developing silks, silks are essentially pollen tubes, and they indicate to these moth mothers, probably by their smell, their odor, that this is a great time to leave her children on those corn ears. (laughs) Those eggs hatch and the larvae burrow into the tip of the corn. As the corn kernels are filling out and maturing, those larvae are are eating away. They're developing into larger larvae. By the time you harvest the ears and open them up, you'll find a a horrifying shock inside. Other species of caterpillars um, will attack corn and, and can be found in different parts of the ear. But generally speaking, corn earworm pretty much stick to that top couple of inches. You might have noticed that sometimes you can find sweet corn at the grocery store that's kind of like half pre-shocked. It kind of has like a husk jacket around half of the ear and the, the tip is cut off. This is a pretty clever workaround for potential corn earworm infestation to, to lop that tip off and, and just not even mess around. So we're kind of lucky up here in New Hampshire because corn earworm does not overwinter well north of, say, Virginia. But it will migrate long distances, and it's often blown up on big storms. So some of the moths we get here in New Hampshire probably migrated from as far as Arkansas or Texas. How do we know when 
this happens? Well, we have very powerful tools for monitoring this species using lures containing synthetic sex pheromone. Really specific, really effective. And by monitoring, you can avoid unnecessary applications of pesticide when these, these moths aren't here. And you can avoid crop injury by making sure to protect your crop when the moths are here. You can try this at home, but many of our growers in New Hampshire have a little help from Cooperative Extension. I'm George Hamilton, a UNH uh, field specialist in, based in Gosstown. George caught me up on the Sweet Corn IPM program history, including the state of affairs when he started here and the impacts of his program today. Growers were kind of saying, geez, uh, what do we do about that? We don't have the data anymore. Nothing is being done except for one farm. Uh, Wilson Farm was still doing the traps themselves. Uh, a couple other farms, the traps were run over by a tractor driver, uh, were lost. Uh, I got a grant through EPA, New England Vegetable and Berry Growers, to set up traps on three farms so I could learn what the trap falls are. And we had a major storm that came through and I couldn't believe literally overnight we went from two, three to 203. The growers said how important knowing that was to them. And looking at my grower, the growers that are in our program, call them my growers, uh, their yields are gonna be higher than the average. And uh, the price that they're receiving is usually higher than the average. So I feel very comfortable with the, the impacts. And, Normally we're saving anywhere from one to 2.5 sprays per year on the total acreage. And we're usually seeing a 10 to 12% increase in production due to reducing the call rate of uh, insect damage. So that means there's roughly 180 to $200,000 more product available on close to 500 acres uh, of sweet corn. So George has dramatically expanded the sweet corn monitoring network since he started here in New Hampshire. You can find those data by town on our extension website, um, updated weekly. If you are growing corn nearby some of these sites, this could be very helpful in determining if your corn is at risk. However, there can be quite a bit of variability from site to site. These moths are often literally falling out of the sky after all, so on-farm monitoring will provide you with much better data than regional information. I caught up with my old PhD advisor, Virginia Tech, Tom Kuhar, to get up to speed on the state of affairs in sweet corn IPM and, and some other stuff I had been scratching my head over. Some experience that we've had in Virginia over the last three years, we, we tried to implement a, a sweet corn IPM program, which was based around pheromone trap captures of corn earworm, you know, which is the major driver of pest management in, in Virginia for sweet corn. One of the concerns that we had was the reliability of trap catch and growers really feeling confident that that trap catch can, can, can really uh, drive their spray schedule. And what I'll point out is times where we've put two traps on the same field, one hardly caught anything um, as far as moths and the other one 
cut a bunch. And I mean, it was a completely different decision making there. So, I mean, obviously your answer is you need to put more traps out, um, get the average, but do you go with the, the conservative approach of the one that caught the moths? So there's a lot of um, uncertainty, I think, with using pheromone traps. That we found to be a, a challenge in Virginia. We have a lot more corn earworm pressure, I think, than, than further up in, up in New England. So because of that, I think growers a, a lot of times are on following a, a, a spray schedule, unfortunately. I, I think there's a, there's a period we, we don't see corn earworm really jump up until about the middle of July. It's possible to get corn going early. Sometimes you've got even transplants that go out. You, you, know, you get them started in the greenhouse, put them on plastic. There's, there's all kinds of things depending on the grower and how they can market their corn. But rest assured, if you can get corn early before the 4th of July, you've got two things. One, a heck of a market. And two, not quite the corn earworm pressure. So another thing that we've seen that concerns me is, is uh, bees coming to pollinating sweet corn. I know corn is a grass. It's not insect pollinated, but the bees love that pollen when it's coming out in, in uh, large numbers. And, you know, that has, that has concerned me. I think it was historically not a big player in sweet corn pest management. You know, it scares me when the field is just absolutely buzzing with bees and, and that's when we're coming in. And so I've suggested, you know, using products that are less toxic to the bees and, you know, like a diamide, like, like Corrigin is one that kind of fits that role. Also preserves natural enemies. We've seen things like the Aureus minute pirate bug um, come in and that, that, that thing will run around and eat corn earworm eggs. It's, it's eating pollen. You know, there's, there's papers out there showing that it can play a big role if you don't kill it. So, you know, all that is part of an IPM program suggesting using those softer chemistries and, and holding off. And if you can get your corn in early, there's a lot of advantages to that. Um, but boy, when you get late season, it's, it's just a tough road. And I don't think there's enough rotational IPM friendly insecticides out there. To, you know, you can try these things, but ultimately it ends up in more worm damage to your corn. Um, I think that's been the experience of, of not only me, but other researchers. When, when you say that, you mean experimenting with some softer chemistries, like what kind of chemistries are you talking about? Well, like spinosins, for instance. Um, uh, there's products like uh, nucleopolyhedrosis viruses, products Gemstar that are out there that are very specific to corn earworm. They're, you know, they've got a terrific non-target profile. They're not going to hurt anything else but the corn earworm worms. But, you know, when you fit them into spray schedules and try to compare them with, and I'm talking late season, this is when the, the worm pressure is the highest. Um, it is a tough, tough battle to, to try to get control efficacy of, of these worms equal. So, yeah, I mean, that's the challenge right now. I know uh, Brian Nall is one at, at Cornell who's, who's really looking hard. David Owens at University of Delaware. Um, you know, we're going to be trying some of these, these programs, and these are ones for organic growers as well, uh, using products that, that they can use. And, and Trust is the spinosin that's probably one of the best. Pyrethrins used to be okay, um, but we have pyrethroid resistance problems in our corn earworm populations um, to the point that I don't think pyrethrins you know, in the product Pyganic are, are working very well at all. And a lot of pyrethroids aren't. So it's a sweet corn pest management is, is a challenge right now. And researchers are, are, are working on it. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on how to, or how to order these products in your rotation when you're bringing in new chemistries, but keeping the old ones? 
you know, the one thing that I just keep going with is, you know, you got to have the softer chemistries early. I know some are thinking you've got to have your, your best guns, you know, going in, going in blazing early. And I think the problem is when those are the ones that are disruptive to the natural enemies and some of the non-targets, I just don't think that's a wise approach. I, if you can use Corrigin, I like it early. I think there's a little bit of uh, extra residual. And I, I like the fact that it's not killing things that I don't want it to kill. Um, so I, I, I would like to start with that. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, everyone go out and buy that product. I'm not selling anything here, but that's the option that we have that's a lot, lot more IPM friendly than, than the other tools. All right, so if you have been relying on a steady rotation of organophosphates and pyrethroids for your sweet corn calendar spray schedule, it is time to invest in some new tools. Chemical resistance is something that flies its way up from its overwintering habitat, so there's not much more we can do than mix things up a bit. If you live in southern New Hampshire, there's a pretty robust monitoring network you can access online. We'd also be happy to train you how to monitor these moths for yourself. And to be honest, I'd be very happy to supply you with the materials you need if you are in New Hampshire and want to do your own monitoring. Think about ways to move up that planting date, either by starting plants early or using black plastics. And when corn earworm does come to your farm, start out with something softer, something more selective, something that will save those bees, but more importantly, save those adorable aureus bugs, those minute pirate bugs that are out hunting in that corn. Just adorable. That's it for this week. Thanks to my newest mentor, George Hamilton. Thanks to my academic dad, Tom Kuhar of Virginia Tech. And while I'm at it, thanks to my actual dad, who actually volunteers his time in my lab. What a guy. And of course, for all those backyard veggies growing up too. And a special thanks to Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.eu.